I'm Shelby. Uh, I live in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I am a recovering alcoholic uh, with the sobriety birthday of July 8th, 2013. And I'm going to be talking with you guys about my uh, journey of addiction. I'm creating a collection of stories showcasing resilient people who overcome unimaginable hardships while finding beauty in the ups and downs of life. Every moment is significant. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. Shelby and I wanted to make sure that you guys checked out the webpage at www.pushdiariespodcast.com forward slash Shelby to check out the links she's talked about in this episode and lots of great pictures too. Thank you for listening. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in Michigan. I really miss family though. Like a lot. I'm, you know, my sister's kids, like I miss them a lot, a lot, just as you know, when they're so little, they change so much. So as soon as it's safe for me to travel, I am for sure going to go back to Minnesota for a week at least. Oh, nice. Now everyone will be happy to see you. Oh, yes. One thing I want to make sure people know is like, it doesn't matter what my beliefs are about a situation. I want you to speak honestly, whatever you're comfortable speaking about. Nothing's Um, limits. (laughs) You know, your story might not be the same as someone else's, but I think it's really important that you're able to obviously talk honestly about it. So um, I started this podcast the end of last year, and then I started releasing episodes February of this year. Um, So I had, I think initially, like five or six interviews done. um, And then I just, you know, within the last like two or three weeks, I started interviewing more people. So just this month alone, I think I, I will have recorded like four or five more episodes. So oh, nice. that's super exciting. Yeah. So, and it's right. It's been really wide ranging. Basically, I, you know, with my story, I want to make sure. And honestly, Shelby, I haven't even shared my story yet um, because I'm not really sure how to share such a giant story without me just literally blabbering for four <laughs> hours straight. So I'm trying to figure that out. But um, what's nice is when I have conversations like this, even if it's not pertaining to paralysis or surgery or cancer, um, as you know, as we age, it's like a lot of life experience um, can correlate or be parallel amongst you or I, even if we don't have the same story. So, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure, you know, that that's why you're on. And so it's just really cool to have like so many different stories that aren't even anywhere near the same, but it's still something that can inspire and if uplift something, if not just better understand someone who goes through addiction in your case, or has to go through treatment or, is struggling with childhood trauma or whatever the case may be, you know, it's funny too, as we age, it's like amazing how our faith or religion or beliefs just change as you grow up because, you know, you and I are from a small town, like all we knew was what was in Cannon Falls. And now it's interesting, you know, being adult women, like, holy crap, like I didn't, you know, I, I know that you've always been an accepting person, but I didn't even accept myself well as a young kid. You know what I mean? I was very accepting of the people around me, but 
but I wasn't super confident or outspoken. You know what I mean? So, right. so yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people though. Yeah, I do too. hundred percent. So that's kind of my mission. I just want people to feel inspired and, um, you know, be able to push through tough times because this life is not going to get easier for me. I know that, you know, right. it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride from here on out. So I'm also trying to set myself up to do well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a person in my own skin long term. So this is what I chose to do. I don't know where the hell I'm going to be in a year, sister. I might let you know, like, that was a flop, but. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not a flop. I think it's awesome that you're doing this. And I, um, really appreciate you reaching out um, to ask me. I was um, kind of caught off guard and really honored. So I uh, I thank you. And I think uh, anytime we can talk about this stuff and, and communicate and, and connect is it's not that's not a flop. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I know. And that's that's what I'm trying to remember. Like, trust the process. If I keep my head down and keep working hard, like I, I know that the stories that you're telling and all the other guests, like, you know, if I interview one person every two weeks, that's what, like 25 people a year. And I know the 25 people that I'm interviewing are loved and appreciated and their stories matter just like mine. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can get a lot of people the help they need. And um, if not, even just a dose of encouragement or right. better understanding of someone going through a trial, because a lot of people maybe never will go through hardships or will only know someone who goes through a hardship and not go through them through it themselves. So that's just kind of, I know I just kind of word vomited all that on you, but that's <laughs> what I'm all about. You sound really good on my end. Do I sound okay? Am oh, I skipping? No, it's, I'm surprised because my connection is shit usually with like zoom meetings and stuff. So I'm, I'm hearing your crystal clear. So we're Yay. all good. Yay. Yay. Good. Or yeah. Good. Okay. Good. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I'm an open book. Um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to start um, kind of from childhood, and then I, I mean, if you have like specific question, you know, prompting questions or whatever, feel free to ask okay. me literally anything. Sweet, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open. So, um, yeah, I guess um, you know, I've I've spoken quite a few times at um, like treatment centers or or AA meetings and. Um, usually the the structure of, of a share is like what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, and so when I talk about like my childhood, I had a super easy childhood, you know, like I, um, a lot of my friends that are in recovery had really like turbulent, abusive um, upbringings and like that just wasn't my experience. Um, so for a lot of years, I, um, wondered why I was an alcoholic where it's like I, I don't deserve to be an alcoholic because nothing horrendous happened to me right um, and so um was yeah that, I, do you think that was also sort of the catalyst that made it become a problem because you thought you were okay for longer than you were um I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that I um I knew I had a problem, um, but I just didn't really care. Um, I just, like, I didn't give a shit. Um, I, yeah, that's a good question. I I, I hadn't thought of it like that, but I, um, 
it, it, I didn't really understand like the depth. I didn't really know what like alcoholism was. Um, like I, right. I knew that I, I had, um, a drinking problem and that I had severe consequences every time I drank, but it wasn't until I, um, got into recovery that I kind of started realizing like the depth of, of the insanity that I was living in. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of started had, having more of like a clear mind, um, to process things. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like growing up, like my parents are still together, um, grew up in, you know, um, I grew up in Forest Lake before I moved to Cannon Falls. Um, and, you know, had really like stable, structured house, home life. Um, Are you an only child, Shelby? I have a younger brother. Okay. Um, Yeah. My younger brother is um, this like anomaly of a human being. He's just fucking Mr. Perfect, which I always like, even though he's my younger brother, like I was always so jealous of him because he, he could, he could just, he could maintain balance. Like I, like I don't have, like he could like get drunk with his buddies on the weekend and then like maintain a 4.0 and like go to work and stuff during the week where it's like, I just, I had no, I mean, it was like all or nothing with everything that I do. And so, um, like growing up, it just kept getting like worse and worse where I just kept getting more jealous of him, where I just thought of him as this like golden child. And he's like, super fucking funny he looks like he could be like an rei model or something he's like this mountain man you know outdoors man um super super smart like gets along with people really well i mean he's just like the total package so i always felt just kind of (laughs) like comparison is so hard and even hearing you talk about reflecting on maybe why you didn't notice there was a problem i mean our society alone we're comparing constantly and like, you know, I love reading magazines and like, you know, getting caught up in the media that can be kind of superficial and, you know, mm-hmm. all about good looks and sex and drinking. And it's like the message that we're telling young girls and I don't I really want to hear your opinion on this, too, is like, oh, there's no problem. Like, yeah, you should be able to keep a balanced life. And Truly, like, that's not that's not the case. People can't, especially as we get older, right? It's like, dang, I can't hold, I don't keep as good of a tolerance as far as, like, how my body goes through alcohol as it once did. Like, mm-hmm. it affects everybody differently, and it's not normal. It's okay to relax with a drink, but, yeah, where is the happy medium of, like, you know, what we're doing to our bodies being okay? Right. Well, I, I always just, I'd always laugh when... Um, like, yeah, this idea of like moderate or like, you know, alcohol is like enjoy responsibly or like, you know, moderation where it's like, what the fuck is that? Like, I have no idea what that even means, you know? Yeah. And, and as far as, um, you know, you talk about magazines where it's like, oh, you know, be exactly who you are as long as it's, you know, like this, this, and this. And, um, and I think a, another big part of my, um, I loved drinking because I could get out of my own head. Like I, I overthink everything or I used to, um, I, I still can find myself doing that from time to time, but it used to be a lot worse. Um, and so, um, growing up, um, I'm, and I'm still friends with, you know, all of them now, but like in my eyes, like all of my friends from high school were gorgeous, just like 
you know, drop dead gorgeous. I mean, you know, all of them. I love all of them. Yeah. We have a lot of the same friends. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but at the time, you know, it's like, I was always like the tomboy. Like I hung out with all the guys and we talk about sports and like crude, you know, shit or whatever. But, um, you know, all my friends were like dating, you know, these guys that I, you know, would like, or, you know, things yeah. like that. Or I just, I never understood like, why, why not me? You know, right. so it's like from a, from a young age, I was like comparing myself to all my friends and like, in my eyes, not measuring up, you know, I like, right. I never felt like I was enough. And so it's, um, so that's like, you know, stayed with me for so long. And I, um, that's been one of the biggest like journeys in my recovery is just like learning how, I mean, it's, you know, so cliche, but like learning how to love myself where it's like, I really had to go from like learning how to not hate myself to like liking myself to then loving myself. Um, and not, not that constant comparison because, um, that shit'll, yeah, that shit'll drive me right back to drinking if I, (laughs) if I start dwelling on, on those kind of things. Yeah, comparison is an ugly thing. I have struggled with that too. And I think, you know, going through my cancer and getting into a chair has really pushed me out of that headspace because, like, as you can imagine, my life is so different now. And how I even just get ready in the morning is different now. Like, my life is truly ruled by my disability. And I'm still reflecting and processing what that means, looking, you know, moving forward. But what I do know, Shelby, is like I I can't get away anymore with comparison or um, even just not looking at my own self as a vessel that can like carry me through this life and be happy and not look at those negative things that we sometimes think in our head. Mm -hmm. But then also like recognizing the negative or unhealthy thought, being able to sit with it in the same room and if I need to cry or be mad, like allow myself to do that. Or, you know, my therapist kind of explained it like, okay, like you have this thought and you've been grabbing onto it, right? Like your veins in your arm are popping out and you're like just kind of obsessively hanging onto this thing. And then as, as we age, we try to get to a place where we can open our hand up and eventually set it down, right? And be in the room with it without letting it control you, you know? So yeah, like yeah, let's go back to your upbringing, your comparison of friends, your family life. Um, I love that you're saying, you know, everything was normal in, in your childhood. You had structure. You didn't have trauma. Um, you went to high school. So then what happened um, once you got to high school and, and all of that? Yeah, um, I guess, I mean, like, I, I remember high school, like, very fondly. Like, I, I don't... Um, I was uh, big into sports. Obviously, we played tennis together. Tennis is like one of my best memories from high school. Um, and it's just mostly like getting into stupid trouble, you know, with my friends, like just dumb shit, small town stuff, you know. Yeah. So um, it was fun so yeah. and carefree as it should right. be. Right, right. And so um, I actually didn't start drinking until I was 17. So I feel like kind of a late bloomer. Um, in terms of that. Um, and it was just like, it was more just like weekend drinking, you know, like after, you know, uh, like yeah. weekends on school and stuff. And I remember our tennis coach, Paul, <laughs> every Friday would be like, Shelby, don't get in any trouble, you know, over the weekend. We have a match on Tuesday. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
but I mean, it was like, it was very, uh, like it was just fun. You know, I don't remember, like, I, I don't know how I never got in, uh, like any major trouble, um, in high school. And so, um, that was nice. But then, um, when I moved to St. Cloud, um, for college, um, I just felt like, oh, I'm free. You know, like I, I have my own space. I'm not like living with my parents. I love my parents, but you know, I just, you know, it's just, it's less, uh, oh, yeah. supervision. And, um, and I just, um, I met a lot of people like me, which was, uh, both a good and a bad thing. Um, and so, um, that's really where like my drinking like really took off. Um, and yeah, it just, it, uh, just progressively got, um, got worse and worse. And I, I just started caring less and less about anything. Um, I, you know, started withdrawing from, you know, friends from high school I couldn't be held accountable to follow through in anything that I said I would do. Um, I, I'd make commitments and, and just empty promises, um, all the time. Um, that's hard. Were you, were you a yes person? Like, would you call yourself someone who says yes too much or was that something that came from the drinking you believe um I guess I've always just kind of been like a down for anything person (laughs) so um that uh mentality um has uh also been positive and negative in my life where I I feel like I've been opened up to a ton of different opportunities because I kind of always just go for it like if I want to do something um I just figure, like, why not and, like, try it. Yeah. Um, But then I also got in a lot of trouble because I had a lot of really stupid ideas when I was drunk and when I was sober, too. Um, Right, right. But, yeah, I I just figure, like, why not? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So can you talk a little bit about – no, when was your daughter born? Because did this – did your – pregnancy with her if you don't mind me asking have to do with your drinking or your dating or yeah. and I don't know how much you want to share about that but I, I'm curious Shelby where you realized like oh crap like this isn't and I'm not saying your daughter was that but what things happened in your life leading up to you realizing you had a problem you know where mm-hmm. you were really like oh shoot like I can't ignore this anymore I need to get better for my daughter. And then also I'm sure you got to a place where it wasn't safe anymore. Can you talk about like your lowest points and what transpired in your life that made you really kind of get a grip on your situation and the severity of it? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'll talk about kind of what got me sober in the first place. And I, I had my daughter when I was sober. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'll talk about that. Um, beautiful. Yeah, so, um, uh, God, um, there is a lot of, like, low points. So, um, in the program, a lot of people talk about, like, hitting rock bottom. Um, and I feel like I had quite a few of those. I mean, like, I, I just think that 
we are always carrying around a shovel with us. Like we can always dig a deeper, like there's always like a, a deeper rock bottom to, to get to. Um, I just got to the point where I was, um, a, a daily blackout drinker. So I had no idea what was going on basically ever. Um, and it was probably like a two or three year period where I was, I was like daily blackout drinking. Um, and, um, Are you I, going I end up to school. <laughs> yes. Impressive. Um, so I, um, well, I'd apply and register for classes and then not really do them. Like I wanted to, you know, show my parents that I was like registered for classes, but I failed like three years of college. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So really a financially sound decision on my part there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, like at one point my GPA was like a 0.46 or something like ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I met, um, like the people that I hung out with were drug dealers and, um, you know, people that didn't have like jobs or didn't go to school and stuff. So I like every morning I'd wake up and be like, "Mm, well, do I want to go to a class or do like, I, you know, want to start taking shots as soon as I wake up, you know, and, and smoke a bong with my buddies or whatever. And so, Um, so, um, I just, I I would end up in the hospital a lot, like detox, hospital, jail, um, were like the three, um, occurrences that happened the most. When I'd end up in the hospital, it was never for, um, like self-harm attempts or anything. It was just like that I'd get so drunk that I'd end up like hurting myself. Um, and so... Um, like you'd trip and fall or something like that. Yeah. Or like, um, like one time I was at, uh, Eel Pout Festival up in, uh, Walker, Minnesota, which is like we fest on ice. Basically, it's just a bunch of people getting drunk ice fishing. And I, um, I just, it's like in the middle of February and it's obviously like freezing. And I just remember being like, oh, I'm just, I just want to drink until I can't feel anything. And then, um, mission accomplished. And I woke up, um, in the hospital in Park Rapids, like 40 miles away with, um, like IVs in my hands and my arms. Um, I had a catheter in, I was like still so, um, annihilated. And, um, they said that someone had found me passed out, um, on the outskirt of the lake, like in a snowbank. Um, and if they hadn't found me when they did, I would have died of hypothermia because I was, yeah. So right, you were asleep. Like you had no recollection of what you would, what what had happened, what you had done. Oh yeah, no idea. And interestingly enough, like a year later, I was um, driving up to Bemidji um, for this party, and I locked my keys in the car at this gas station in Walker. And these cops were trying to help me. And um, anyway, they they started looking at me really weird, and I'm like, and they're like, what did you say your name was again? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm Shelby. And they're like, oh, they're like, you looked familiar. And they're like, we have a name for you at the station. And I was like, I was like I'm never here. Like, what do you mean? And, and he's like, did you have um, too much fun at Eel Pelt last year? And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, I don't really remember. And they're like, yeah, we call you Shelby Eel Pelt. You were the drunkest person we've ever seen. Oh, and so I was God. like, oh, you know, at the time I'm like, thank you. Like, what a compliment. Um, but I, yeah, so it. It was a lot of things like that. Um, you know, I, um, 
I got arrested for trespassing for DUI. Um, you know, I'd get sent to detox for being, you know, so, uh, incoherently drunk. Um, you know, like I, I requested my medical records, um, just like a year ago from all the hospital visits, just out of curiosity. And like, you know, my, my BAC was like usually around like a point three nine point four. So like, I just, my, my tolerance and my dependence on alcohol was so high. Um, and the, the scary part was that I could be that drunk and still be functioning to a level. Like I wouldn't just like pass out. Like I would just get like hyper mode and then just go do a bunch of really stupid things. So, um, the turning point, I guess, um, I just failed another year of, of school and, um, it was like right around the new year. Um, and I, I went to go talk to my supervisor at school, um, my advisor who I never talked to cause I never went to class. Um, and I was just like, so, um, drained. Like it was, I was like, it was so exhausting living that lifestyle. Um, that used to be so fun. Um, but I, it just, it was so draining that I couldn't keep up with all the lies that I'd tell everyone. I couldn't keep up with all the, you know, financial responsibilities of like, you know, hospital bills and all the, these things. And, um, I just knew I was going to die basically. Like I could either like do something different or die. Um, cause I just kept getting, putting myself in all these dangerous situations. Um, and so I, I told my advisor that I, I couldn't quit drinking and I didn't know what to do. Um, and it was like the first time I had been honest with anyone, you know, in like years, like I lied about everything to everyone all the time. And, um, and I feel like once I was just like honest and surrendered, like the path just opened up for me from there. It's, it's crazy. Like I can't even really explain all the wonderful things that happened after that point. Um, he directed me to someone in the department that was in Alcoholics Anonymous um, and said, you know, why don't you go talk to him? He might have something helpful to, to say. And so I went and talked to this guy. Um, he was like this, I don't know, 75-year-old man, so Aww. sweet. And, and he told me what his life was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, he gave me like a meeting schedule and, you know, he's just, he's like, why don't you go to a meeting? Like, what's the worst that could happen and I was like, well, I could have to quit drinking. Like, that sounds like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. You know, I didn't I didn't know that, like, sober people existed at that point in my life. Like, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, I actually, I never went to treatment. Um, my, my parents had begged me to go to treatment. Um, I thought they were crazy. Obviously, they were the ones that needed help, not me. Um, and so I, I just started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, really didn't want to change anything, but didn't have any other like good options at that point. Um, and the, the longer I stayed in there and, and listened to people and, um, and started doing what they suggested, um, my life, I mean, like completely changed. It's, I, I had to put in a lot of work and it was really, um, difficult to like let go of the people, places and things, um, that I had been associating with for so many years. Um, cause I did have a lot of really good friends, um, uh, like truly genuinely good friends that I would use with a lot. Um, and I kind of just had to 
separate myself from a lot of people for a while and, and get right with myself. Um, and it's been the best thing, the single best thing that's ever happened to me. Like getting sober has been, um, I mean, I wouldn't have anything else in that I have now if it wasn't for that. And, um, and then, you know, you asked, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, how often did you go Shelby to the, those, um, alcoholic anonymous meetings? Like were they, did you start going only once a week and then you started going daily? Like how often do those happen? And what would you recommend to someone who's in that same boat where they don't know what to do and they're, and maybe we should talk about that when you're done sharing your full story. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like how often did you go during those days when you yeah, first started so, going? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what a lot of people recommend is doing 90 and 90, like 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, I'm like, we're fortunate here in St. Cloud, there's a really good recovery community. So we have um, like an Alano club um, that has meetings every day, like multiple meetings every day. Um, a lot of small towns might only have like one or two or three meetings a week. Um, it kind of depends on where you live right now. Obviously, um, that looks a lot different with the quarantine. Um, there's right. online meetings available, um, which have been amazing. And it's super yes. cool because you can hook into meetings from all over the country. So like uh-huh. every morning I'll do like this meeting out in, um, like San Jose, California, where it's like over a hundred people that meet at 6 a.m. California time. Um, and I've done meetings in like Vancouver and, you know, Boston and all over the place. So it's really cool because you get so much, you get to hear so much experience. So um, I can talk more about that too. Yeah. At the end. Yes. Uh, I definitely kind of a, a plug want, for that. It's been helpful. A yeah. Ton. I definitely want you to let me know what link people can go to find something yes. local or, or something yeah. online, because I know for me with my disability, again, it's like sometimes, well, not only in quarantine, right. But like, if you just feel like complete crap one day and can't get yourself out of the house online, uh, AA, that sounds like a really great resource for a lot of people. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been so nice. Like it was a thing before the quarantine, but now obviously because all the Alano clubs and meeting places are closed, uh, it's what everyone is using. And so it's been, yeah, it's been entirely helpful. Um, but when I, when I started going, I would just go, uh, once a week and I'd like joke with my roommates, like, Oh, I got to go to my drunk meeting, you know, and, kind of like make a joke out of it. Um, but I, I made, um, it's called like a home group meeting, like a meeting that you go to every week, like the one that you regularly attend. Um, and so, um, the, the Thursday night young people's meeting in St. Cloud, Minnesota at 6 30 PM is my, um, home group meeting. And I, I chair that meeting. Um, I've been, um, given the opportunity to, to be of service. So that's, um, pretty neat. Um, but I, I started going more and more, um, and, um, I, you know, I was attracted to what the people were saying, you know, I was so nervous and so terrified to go to my first meeting. Um, and, you know, it's just in my head, I'm like, well, I don't want to hang out with sober people. Like, you yeah. know, I won't have anything in common with them. And, and then I, you know, actually listened and, 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 you know, heard so many of the same things, like they understood me, you know, cause it's. I had parents and friends, 
you know, that loved me and wanted good things for me, but they'd offer advice that was like (laughs) infuriating to me. Like I'd have friends be like, oh, well, why don't you just pace yourself? (laughs) And it's like, oh, what a novel fucking idea. I had never thought of that. I'll just pace myself, you know? Right. Like, no, you you don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. I want to have more than three beers. So no, I can't pace myself. (laughs) Like, you know, why don't you drink waters between, you know, your drinks or, you know, all these things that like, I'm just not capable of doing. Like, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to do that. And so when I got to AA, you know, I heard other people talking like I did and like having the same experiences and like similar like feelings that I did. And so I just, I felt like super at home and really comfortable right away. Um, and I just remember like my very first meeting, I, um, I was 22 when I got sober Um, and, and there was this kid there that was probably like 16 or something. And he just, he was so wise. Like he just, he talked with such, um, just such like wisdom and just, it seemed like he just talked from the heart. And I, I was so attracted to that being like, wow, like what happened to this kid that he went from, you know, this person that he was describing to like, you know, who I'm listening to right now. And, and so I was like attracted to that and, um, and there was this woman uh, at the meeting, you know, and she's like, keep coming back. You know, it's one of the AA say- slogans, you know, like, keep coming back. And and so I was like, all right, fine, I'll, you know, I'll come back again. And and this woman was at the second meeting that I ever went to, and she remembered my name. And she was, you know, when I walked in there, she's like, Shelby. And I just, I was like, so blown away by that being like, oh, my God, someone like cares, you know, and, and like gives a shit. And um and I just, it, it was so cool. You know, I just, I kind of got thrown into everything and just started like m- making friends and, and meeting people that, um, just these wonderful, inspiring people, you know, and like all these massive characters that were just like seared with scars, you know, and, yeah, and have yeah. so much, um, you know, trauma and just, life experiences and are just like these compassionate, like wonderful people. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the, the uh, parts of the program that people, um, heavily suggest is sponsorship, um, which is like a, a sober coach or a guide, I guess is a, a similar, like a way to put it, but it's basically someone that, um, has gone through the 12 steps, um, of Alcoholics Anonymous and then who has gone through like the first part of the it's called the big book but it's like the book of Alcoholics Anonymous um and um it's like a design for living basically like how do you live without alcohol (laughs) you know like I'm talking about that um and so you know everyone's like pushing sponsorship and um you know, in my like stubborn head, I'm like, well, I, you know, I got myself into this, like I can probably get myself out of it, you know, and, um, like all this like self will run riot, you know, and, and, um, eventually I, I asked this woman to be my sponsor, you know, she would talk in meetings and she was so passionate and like talked so like enthusiastically about being sober. And I'm like, who is this bitch? Like, I don't yeah. know why, she's got to be faking it, you know? And, and, um, and that woman, um, I mean, I, I owe her so much. I mean, she, she would take time out of her, out of her week every single week to meet with me. And like the, 
the meetings I think are really helpful because um, you get to connect with other people who have gone through similar things and you like realize that you're not so like unique or crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to like unload my personal baggage at a meeting. Like the meetings are there for me to share my experience, strength and hope. Um, meeting with a sponsor is like where I unpack all my baggage and like oh. go through those steps. And so like, you know, go, I, I do a, you know, a personal inventory of, you know, all the resentments that I hold against that I've held against people my whole life and, and all these harms that I've, that I've done on other people and like making amends and, and all these parts of the program. Um, uh, that is what changed life for me is like realizing that alcohol is not my problem. Alcohol is my solution to my problem. Like my problem is me and my thinking. And so, you know, I heard it actually at a, a meeting a couple weeks ago that I really liked, like alcoholism, like the ism is I, self, and me. And when I add alcohol to that, it's it's a mess. It's a problem. Wow, that so, is, that's a really neat, I that's amazing. Because it's like, like, it's any ism, you know, like, you know, any kind racism. of thing. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's my, inter, you know, how I myself will grasp on to whatever. And so... Um, and so that was like a huge turning point for me, like realizing, cause I, when I went into AA, I just thought, oh, if I can just quit drinking, like my life will be better, you know? And, and unfortunately that was not the case. You know, I realized that like, okay, yeah, I'm not creating all these problems for myself now, but now I have to deal with the wreckage of my past, like all this shit that I've, you know, accumulated and done and like have to make up to people. And, and so, you know, like, uh, like making amends, um, that's like steps eight and nine and, and the steps are in order for a reason. You know, if I were to get sober and then the next week try to make amends to all the people that I've harmed, most of the people in my life would be like, yeah, we've heard this shit before, like more empty promises. Um, so by the time I got to those steps, you know, it had been probably about a year or so, um, you know, like it was a living amends, like I was living a different way. And the people in my life could see that I was like, actually trying to better myself and, and be a better version of myself. Um, and it wasn't just these empty promises that I had been giving out, you know, like candy and stuff. So yeah. um, was that hard for you to realize? Like, did that kind of or, or was that something you kind of realized that you were doing before there was a problem? Like, you knew that the five years that you weren't sober, you were making empty promises, but like how like earth shattering was that for you to hear that those 12 steps actually do work? Like if you try to do them in order and put them first, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy because like I said, when I was drinking, like I had no, I don't even think, I don't know if I knew AA existed. Like I think I'd heard of it, you know, in like movies or like in jokes, but I, I didn't really understand that like sober people existed <laughs> just cause like right. everyone I hung out with was, you know, nuts. Um, and so, um, one of the things like um, I, I didn't grow up religious whatsoever. Um, my parents, uh, we never went to church or anything. So I didn't really have any kind of concept, um, where like a lot of people go into AA, like hating God or like, you know, having a big resentment, resentment. Sure. Um, I had like no clue, but the, a lot of the steps, um, say God in the steps. Oh, um, and so that kind of freaked me out. And so I was like, is this like a religious cult thing? You yeah. know, and like, 
wasn't like sure. And, and, um, AA like taught me the difference between religion and spirituality, like fine, you know, like you don't need to believe in a specific thing, but you need to believe in something greater than yourself. Um, and so, um, and it's just like hope is hope just something greater than yourself. Well, exactly. And that's uh, like a lot of the people will start off, um, and, like, and Shelby, please feel free to like say what the 12 steps are because there might be someone listening to this who has no idea what the 12 steps are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I again, I want you to speak to me like you're speaking to yourself when you needed help, you know? So, cool. yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll read the, the steps here in a second. Um, a lot of people when they get in, I know they say they, they, they think of the higher power as like the group. Or, you know, like, just like the, you know, or like, so God, G-O-D, like group of drunks, um, you know, like something like that is like, or even, you know, the book talks about like a door handle being a higher power, you know, like whatever it needs to start off as, like in my concept of a higher power has been so up and down, you know, in my six years of sobriety, um, you know, where it's like different phases of my life and different things happen and um, that relationship kind of changes. Um you know, and, um, and, but the, the thing that, um, I think like going through the steps, like opened up my eyes so much is that every problem that I've ever had has been of my own making, like literally every single one of them. Um, and so that was like pretty earth shattering to realize that, um, you know, I make decisions based on self and, um, and, when I, when I run life based on my own will, it doesn't turn out well. Um, and I, I, I feel like I'd always been a, like a compassionate person, but, but going through the steps, um, has helped me so much, um, to realize that when people, when I perceive people doing something wrong to me or, or, you know, speaking to me, um, in a way that hurts my feelings or, you know, doing me wrong in any way. Um, I've realized that that has nothing to do with me anymore. Like that is them projecting whatever they're going through onto me. Um, and I have to like offer them compassion because people don't, I, I don't believe that pr- people purposely try to try to harm other people, hurt people, hurt people. And so like if, if someone does something to me, instead of getting angry or resentful, I try to like understand where they're at and meet them where they're at and like understand that I have no idea what's happened to them in their life. I don't know what happened to them this morning, you know, if something awful happened and they're projecting that onto me. And so, um, that, that idea has like changed my perception of everything. Um, where I just like, I see us all connected rather than like me versus you. Right. So then how do you advocate for yourself, Shelby, when someone offends you without getting upset? How have you learned how to stick up for yourself and let them know what they did wrong, but also be yeah, that's passionate? A great, yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that I, you know, I've been working on. I'm a people pleaser by nature. And so um, it's easy for me to um, kind of just like go with the flow and be like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, you know, it, it's not a big deal if you're going to be an asshole, like I'll deal with it. Um, but I guess advocating for myself is just like me speaking my truth. Like if I, 
if I feel hurt or offended, like I can speak on that. I, I can let someone know that in a, in a way that's not me attacking them or, or, um, or attacking their character. Um, it's important for me to, to speak up for myself and, and say how I feel, but doing so in a way that doesn't come at them from uh, a hurtful or harmful place, but rather like a teaching moment, like a learning moment where right. be like how you said that made me feel whatever, um, you know, and, and kind of go at it from that point of view, rather than, um, you're a dick. Like, why would, you know, why would you say that to me? You know? And, um, and a lot of times people don't know, you know, that what they said was hurtful or harmful, or, you know, they have different expectations or perceptions than I do. And, um, you know, we're all a little different and, and handle things differently. So, um, just trying to think of it as like a teaching moment and, and, uh, really just being honest, like the, uh, the honesty piece of like of the program and just life in general has been so monumental for me. Cause I would lie all the time. Like I would lie when it'd be easier to tell the truth, like lies would just drip from my mouth. And so now I just try to practice a program of honesty, like being honest in my actions and my words. Um, if I do find myself like starting to fib or like tell a lie, I'll like try to stop it right away. Um, and just say, you know what, sorry, I, like, that's not true. Like, this is, this is where I'm at. Um, yeah. And on, you know, they say honesty is the best policy, but really it's like made life so much easier for me because I'm not trying to manipulate, you know, things and situations to fit my own needs. Um, I'm just being truthful about, you know, where I'm at and, um, I'll, I'll read the, the 12 steps in here. Cause it talks, you know, about like honesty a lot. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. This book. Whatever like, you can share, girl, I love it. This is, yeah, this is so book, great. This book um, absolutely saved my life, 100%. Um, what is it? What's the uh, title? It's, so it's, uh, it's the, well, I have a cover on it, but it's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the second best-selling book next to the Bible, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. So Sweet. it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And like people, um, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people that like tried to read through it themselves. Um, which I, you know, if you want to, that's perfectly fine. But there's, there's a lot of concepts in here and, and things that would be, the, the book is meant to be read through with someone else who's gone through it before that can like teach you. Um, that's my experience anyway, that that's what worked for me. Um, I can't, I can't speak on anyone else's experience, but, um, I had, what does it start out with Shelby? Like, what is the first, like, is the intro literally saying, get a mentor, get the support, go through this with someone, or is it, is it like a survival guide on how to start going to AA? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So there's, there's four different editions of the big book. So, um, it, uh, the first edition, um, appeared in 1939. Um, and so this book was written like by a couple, like, white dudes, you know, like businessmen, white dudes. Um, and, um, like when they started, they had like only a couple, like there was like a hundred people, you know, like that just started meeting and they, um, so it talks about like the preface and like the forwards to the different editions. And then they have, um, a doctor's opinion, um, which is there's this doctor, um, William D. Silkworth, um, who was a, a very esteemed doctor at, at one of the hospitals talking about the um, the 
proponents of, of how well this book um, addresses like the, the need for a, um, not only like physical help, you know, cause it's a, a physical craving, but the, the spiritual piece of the book of like um, addressing um, the like moral aspects of self and right. like, you know, like looking at the, the physical or psychological aspects of, of the disease. That makes a um, lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes into Bill's story. Um, Bill W. is is one of the founders of, of AA and, and the writers of the big book. And so it kind of talks about his story. And then um, and then it goes into there is a solution, like talking about like you may feel like this thing has you licked, but like there is a solution to alcoholism. And like this is, you know, like this is what we found. Um, and then there's like it talks more about alcoholism uh, there's a chapter in here called We Agnostics um, for people that like can't grasp on to like a higher power like God concept. Um, so it like so addresses cool. that. Yeah, this book I is amazing. And then uh, yeah, and then, I really didn't realize that it was so catered to like spirituality. I mean, I guess I real I guess I sort of figured just because. When we love ourselves, that's a type of spirituality. But like you're saying, a lot of people don't realize that. Right. Well, and, and the um, well, yeah. So like the the point of um, they talk a lot about like having a spiritual experience or like a personality change, basically. So um, one of the chapters is how it works, where like I'll I'll just read. So um, at yeah, every you meeting. Go- yeah, at every meeting, this part is read at every meeting. Um, so it's just kind of like it's a really good kind of synopsis of like the program. So I'll read that. So it's chapter five, how it works um, on page 58 of the fourth edition. But rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 
7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after made clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. Mm. Wow. is that good? Yeah, it's so powerful. Like, I, I don't have a problem with alcohol currently in my life, but I, I think these steps could be helpful for any human being, not just someone who's an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. I think that all the, I mean, like one half of one of the steps talks about alcohol. Like it's the first step, like we admitted we were powerless over, but you could put anything in there. We admitted we were powerless over food. We admitted we were powerless over men. We admitted we were powerless over money. I mean, like literally anything anything. like you had messaged me you said everyone has an addiction you know or everyone's addicted to something and like it's only one half of one of the steps that talks about that the rest is how I can not react to life but how I can like live life and respond to it rather than reacting in like a negative way yeah Uh, that's 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 very powerful yeah yeah I'm super you just have my my wheels spinning in the best of ways. <laughs> I think this is going to be really interesting for a lot of people to hear. And Shelby, I hate that you had to go through all of this, but I'm thankful that you did as a younger woman so that alcohol had a shorter grip on your life as far as time is concerned. Because that is, that's terrifying that you woke up 40 miles from where you last thought you were and you don't remember how you got there or what happened. Like you really could have died in that snowbank. Oh yeah. I woke up in some crazy places. So, I mean, like there, I mean, and there's probably things that have happened to me that I have no idea, you know, like I just, I, I just don't remember. So, um, you know, it's funny when you say that my dad, I love my dad and he's, he's very supportive, but he doesn't completely understand, you know, he's like, well, if you're sober, like, why do you still go to meetings? You know? And I'm like, well, because I'm still crazy, like just because like the, the obsession to drink has been removed, but I still have to like deal with myself. Um, well, and it's but- kind of maybe a good example, Shelby, would be like just for the listeners and for your dad, too. I'm sure you've tried to explain like, again, anything can be put into that sentence. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be sex or food or marijuana or whatever you're anything, yeah. because what is what is that that word that goes in there? What are can you just put that in a sentence like that is controlling you or that is what? Um, 
Yeah, I would say that that gives me no choice. Like, um, I it was put so I heard it the other day, but like, you know, you, you hear about like, this is, what was your drug of choice? What was your DOC? And, um, like for me, like my drugs of choice were marijuana, ecstasy, morphine, you know, whatever. My drug of no choice was alcohol. When I drank, I had no, I had no choice, but to just, I mean, the alcohol took over completely. Like, the alcohol was my higher power. You couldn't for, manage You couldn't manage no. the alcohol, but you could manage the, the drug use. A little bit. I mean, better. But it was like whenever I, but the drinking. And so, like, in my head where it's like, oh, drinking is my problem. Like, not, not getting high. And so, you know, like, when I quit drinking, um, I quit drinking in, in January of 2013. But I kept smoking pot and, like, doing pills for, like, six months because I didn't think that was an issue for me. I'm like, well, I still like work out and like go to work when I'm stoned, you know, and like, and, and my sponsor was like, yeah, but there's still mind altering substances, you know, like they're still affecting your brain. And, and so when I, when I did completely get sober, um, July 8th of 2013, um, I realized like what an effect, like, especially the weed had on my, my emotions. Like I was so emotionally stunted. Like I hadn't cried in years. I, I had no real emotions ever. Like I was always just like happy go lucky, like, you know, stoned out of my gourd. And so when I, when I got sober, I cried all the time. Cause it was like all these emotions and feelings that I had like tried to numb myself from like feeling loneliness and like anger and sadness like that shit sucks like so I'm like no wonder I did this for so many years like this stuff this is awful you know to actually feel things and like now I look at it like feeling everything so deeply is like one of my superpowers like it's 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 difficult at times and like I feel so heavily um you know for not only myself but I I take on you know emotions or it's easy for me to take on emotions of other people Um, but I, I can use that for good now rather than like putting myself in like a pit of despair. You know, I can, I can try to, yeah, use it for, for the better. Hey everyone. I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Patreon gives creators of all kinds of tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Support Push Diaries by subscribing to our Patreon page where you'll get exclusive content not found anywhere else. We just started a special series where me and my fiancé Tyler talk about life and how we push forward together. Just go to patreon.com, create a profile, and become a patron of Push Diaries Podcast and thousands of others. Thanks and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, well, Shelby, I've known you since you were in your teens, and I have always admired you and thought you were a happy, confident person. And it and it's like, you know, you could say the same about me too, but I'm not always happy and confident. So, right. yeah, how? Why is it so hard for us to sit in in the feelings of sadness and anger and 
loneliness? Why is that so hard when it's such a normal human emotion? Well, it is so normal. And it's, um, you know, I think we're hardwired, you know, when when things don't feel good, we don't want to feel them anymore, you know. And so it's like, before I would just try to numb out anything as quickly as possible. And um, now I just I think there's a lot of power in, in being able to like deal with life on life's terms and not have to go run to a bottle or run to a man or run to a cheeseburger or whatever, you know, whatever it is to like try to, you know, fill that hole um, that I'm feeling and and just kind of sit with it and, and know that feelings are just visitors like I can let them come and go and um, I can you know, the, the healthiest way for me is to, to sit with it, to process it, to realize like what part of myself is hurt. Like, is it my ego that's hurt? Is it my self-esteem? You know, like what part of me, sure. um, and then just like learn from it rather than let it consume me. Yeah. yeah. The, the way that you're talking and educating the listeners about what you've gone through, where you were at, how you've, um, You've just been able to shift your thinking and also meet you where you were at. It's beautiful. And I have friends that struggle with this stuff too. And I, I struggle with it. You know, I struggle with my ego. I struggle with forgiving people, harboring resentment. Those are things I struggle with too. Mm-hmm. And it's just very um, uplifting to hear you get through such a dark, scary time where you literally, yeah, you got to the end of your open. You're like, if I don't change, like I'm going to lose my life. Like that's a, Mm -hmm. that's an immense thing to realize. Like it gives me the chills. I've got like the cold (laughs) sweats going over here. (laughs) It's a, well, and it's interesting because you said, you know, like I'm sorry you had to go through all that. My dad, my dad had said like, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of you now, but I just wish you hadn't, you know, didn't have to go through all that. And like, for me, I'm like, no, I'm so glad I went through all of that. Like I, you know, I, I learned from everything that I've, that I've been through and he really didn't understand that. He's like, why would you purposely have chose to like go through all of these things, you know, when you know that you could have lost your life or, you know, what, you know, whatever it is. And for me, it's like, I, I have an option to, learn from something and and maybe like something that I went through could be beneficial to someone else who's going through the similar thing. Or haven't even been there yet, Shelby. Right. Like they might not even realize there's a problem. Right. So I don't know. It's kind of just like a live and learn <laughs> model that I, that I got going on. And I've, I've been super lucky. I mean, like I am very grateful that I'm alive. Um, you know, that I'm, that I'm, um, able to like be a useful member of society again. Um, you know, I, you'd brought up my daughter and like, I, I always get choked up when I, when I talk about her, um, you know, especially in terms of, of my sobriety. Like I, um, like I said, I got, I got sober in July and I got pregnant in December, um, of the same year. And, um, I, I really wasn't expecting it. Um, it was quite a surprise. I, met someone at a meeting, which is like, you absolutely shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> I've heard about how you're not supposed to do that, which like I get, but at the same time, I'm so glad that you found like family in your group. Like you found people that you truly loved and cared about and wanted to then treat yourself that way too. Like I get it, right? Cause you don't want to put two people that have a problem in the same room where they could enable each other. 
but yeah, can you talk about that a little bit yeah. about why that's dangerous or, or why they're so careful about that? Yeah, so it's it's not only the enabling part. So it's called 13th stepping. Like when you pick up people at meetings, um, it's like. <laughs> um, I've never so, heard that. Yeah, so the, the danger of it, um, like the biggest that I see is just that you could risk someone's recovery and ri- risk someone's sobriety. So like if um, it, like it's suggested that you don't get in like a relationship within the first year of your recovery because you're like trying to figure out so many things for yourself and like get in touch with yourself. And like most people that are new in recovery don't have a good relationship with themselves, you know, and so adding in someone else um, is just a danger to that. But then there's also like enabling behaviors or, you know, if I've seen couples going in and being like, we're going to get sober together. And then one person relapses and then, you know, the other person might fall off too, or, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, um, things that could, that could happen. Um, that makes sense though for a year. That makes sense to me. Like, okay, here you are, you've met your problem, you've accepted it, you realize you need help. Um, and you're, you have to really shut out other things that could Yeah. yeah, persuade you or whatever and get right with yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And but and not a lot of people follow that just because it's like you still want human, you know, connection. And, oh, yeah. And most of the people or, you know, I know a lot of people that substitute like drinking drugs for sex, you know, so it's like, OK, well, I'm not using but I still need some sort of, you know, vice Quick fix to make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so it's pretty common, unfortunately. But I mean, there's, you know, different layers of it. I um, I had met um, Easton's dad, you know, at this meeting and and um and he was very nice, very respectful. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I met him in November and I was pregnant in December. Um, so so, you guys hit it off to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. We'll say that. So, I mean, we, we did, um, you know, we were in love with each other. I, I felt that I, you know, loved him at the time. And, um, I remember when I found out I was pregnant, like I was, so fucking terrified. Like I always, I, I had hated children, like baby, like I, I never babysat. I never wanted to be around kids. Like they just, it was never, ever my goal to be a mother. Um, and so all of my selfish alcoholic thinking, like when I was at the doctor and they told me that I was pregnant, like where it's like, I had all these plans. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do, you know, it was like me, 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 like all these things that I wanted to do. And this kid is going to ruin all of that for me. Um, what did and your partner think? What did he think about it? He he was the one that persuaded me to um to to keep her and you oh. know to like have it like he was like we can do this you know like um a lot of it was like me being terrified that I'd be a terrible mother like just thinking that there's no way that I could like take care of someone else like I hadn't been able to take care of myself you know for the last however many years like how the fuck am I supposed to take care of a baby you know. Um, and so, yeah, I was just super scared, <laughs> like getting choked up already. Um, no, I'm, I'm so glad. And please feel welcome. If you need to let anything out, girl, I am here to listen. And I, uh, yeah, this is just amazing. I'm so glad that you've been so vulnerable and shared all this. This is huge. Thank you, Tess. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I, I did not enjoy being pregnant, um, at so all. when did you, but when did you accept it? Cause obviously you didn't carry that baby to term just because your partner said you can do it. We can do it. Like 
when did you realize like, oh crap, like I, I'm going to do this. Like, was it some agreement you had made with yourself as far as the hope and the healing really went? Was this kind of like a kick in your butt to, you know, show up or like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't even really remember like a specific like turning point. I just remember like her dad, um, just like really like giving me confidence that like together, you know, we could, we could do it. And, and I talked to my sponsor about it and, and, um, you know, she's just like, I just, I really think, you know, if you were to, you know, have an abortion, you would really regret it. Um, you know, not trying to sway me in any one direction, but just like, you know, making me realize like this, you know, enormity of this like decision. Um, and, you know, I just, I felt, I think I felt because I was sober, like I might be able to like manage it a little bit better than if I had been drinking. And I, I, I guess I can't, I don't know where the, I've never yeah. been asked that question. It's a good question, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I can't recall exactly, like a specific yeah. thing. Um, but I, that's my, okay. that's okay. Yeah, maybe sponsor, you did maybe maybe you just trusted your situation and I'm so glad that, you know, it wasn't some other extreme situation where you were raped or you got drunk at a party and you got pregnant. Like that would be a very different scenario. But the fact that you loved the person you were with and he was supportive, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure you are too. Now is your daughter's how old? She's five. Yeah. She's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like the best age though. I know. Yeah. She's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got really lucky. Like, uh, yeah, her dad is, um, was so great. And, um, and you know, like I, I remember like being pregnant, like the closer I got to like having her, I just kept getting more nervous being like, holy fuck. Like, you know, I'm going to have to like take care of this kid. And, and my sponsor always had me do affirmations. Um, and so like, I'd write, you know, she's like, you know, write these cause I was getting so nervous about, you know, my, my abilities or my you know, competency to like do anything. And, and so I, you know, I got post-its and I, I wrote all these affirmations and put them on my bathroom window. Like, you know, um, you're going to be a good mother. Like your daughter will love you, you know, these things or whatever. And, and, um, her dad was reading them. He's like, do you really not believe these things in yourself? You know? And I was like, well, no, I don't. And, and he's kind of an egomaniac. So he doesn't really understand like the, yeah. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I think you're cool as hell. I've been drowning in self-doubt and, you know, self-esteem issues. And he just, he didn't really grasp that. But he's like, you really don't think like your own kid would love you? And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, like this is scary stuff. Like this is uncharted territory. And like, I don't, you know, I have so many doubts that it's just like scary. And, um, and so I, I, you know, she had me doing the affirmations, um, which helped a lot. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, why, as, why, why was it helpful? Um, I mean, kind of the idea of like, fake it till you make it. Like, you know, if you, if you start showing up as like the best version of yourself, you know, eventually you'll be her. Um, so if you, if you can start thinking in a way that's, that's kind and loving to yourself rather than having all this negative self-talk, um, life is a whole lot easier when you're your own best friend, you know, rather than constantly at war with yourself, um, which yeah, is yeah. what felt like I had been, you know, forever. Um, and, yeah, 
Gosh, that's such a tough place to be, too. As you were just saying that, I remember seeing a photo on the Internet from Burning Man, you know, that festival yeah. out in the desert. Where is that? Is that in Nevada, Nevada or mm-hmm. whatever? Um, but there is a image of a person, like an adult, sitting and it was a sculpture of like a wooden thing, and it's a and it's an adult sitting, and they might be back to back with another adult, or it might just be the individual person. No, it is two people sitting back to back, and then inside the frame of the person, they're sitting like with their hands on their knees and their head down, uh, you know, on their knees too, and they're back to back, and then the and then there's two children inside the people, like trying to trying to touch each other or hug each other mm-hmm. through their backs. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's like what, what you were just saying, it reminds me of like when we're children, it's like we have an innocence about ourselves where we can love each other easily, more easily, more honestly. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the wonder of like life is more exciting. You know, you, you look at the trees blowing and or the leaves blowing in the trees and you see the ants crawling on the sidewalk and yeah, what is it, Shelby, that leaves us so empty that as we get to be adults, we want to fill that? I mean, right. like you're saying, you were someone, sure, you had issues with comparison, but you were a confident young woman, even though you didn't feel like you were. You came off that way, and so did I. It's just mm-hmm. such a mystery, you know. Well, it, it really is. And, yeah, the I mean, trying to feed your inner child, you know, it's um, – I yeah, I see that all the time. Like, I um, – I work with, um, with guys, um, in treatment in prison here at the St. Cloud prison. Um, and, and a lot of, I love it. Yeah. Um, that is so freaking cool. (laughs) But I mean, so many of these grown ass men, you know, these hardened criminals as people, you know, consider them, they're, they're just trying to feed their inner child, you know, and they, they do that with drugs and alcohol and, you know, and it's, um, but I, I wonder that question too. Like, when did I become jaded? Like, when did, you know, when did like ants crawling on the sidewalk and like leaves blowing in the tree, like stop being cool or, you know, stop being so fascinating. And like being able to see that with my daughter has been so cool. Cause she just has this like insane curiosity towards life. Like, you know, like all kids do. And, um, you know, being able to like watch her grow up, like it's, well, it's been a learning experience because, like I said, I have no no prior experience with children, so I'm learning as I go. Um, but she is just, like, the sweetest, like, most compassionate little – I just – it blows my mind, the shit that comes out of her mouth, you know. And, yeah. and then she keeps me – I mean, she's she's been so helpful to just, like, keep me present. Like, when I, you know, want to, like, zone out or, you know, dissociate and, you know, get in my head about something, she's just, like – mom, like, you know, look at the wind or, you know, like, listen to the wind right now. Or like, you know, look at this, look at that car doing what, you know, whatever it is, like she keeps me present. And, and, um, you know, like I think about it all the time, like how lucky I am that she's never had to see me drunk, you know, because it's like, I would be the mom driving drunk with her kid in the backseat. Like that would be me, you know? And, and, um, if I was still drinking and and she's been very lucky that she's never had to see either of her parents, you know, in, in active use, um, her dad's in uh, a recovering heroin addict. And, um, uh, he's just a, you know, we're, we're no longer together and, but we get a lot, we co-parent great, um, oh, for her. I'm and, so happy to hear um, that. And that's, 
that's a result of the program, you know, like being able to have healthy relationships, like being able to effectively communicate with other people. And like, we both want the best for her. And, and, um, you know, and, and that's, that's at the forefront at like our opinions aside, like it's about her and um, yeah. And she's just been such a light um, in my life and it's been kind of crazy. Like I'm, you know, I'm, Certainly not mother of the year, but I, I really surprised myself just being able to take care of her. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing. Um, yeah, she's she's been just a treasure. <laughs> yeah, well, Shelby, all the all the qualities that you're describing in her is from you and her dad. I mean, those are things you guys can take credit for, really. Like you are instilling in her um qualities that she will grow up with and take with her and hopefully not go through the things you do you know that you did Mm -hmm. Um, I I think about that all the time I you know I worry about it and then it's like well if she does you know because I just I think of all the things that I've done and I'm like oh my god I never want to do half of those things you know but I'm I just I feel safe knowing that like if she does if that is the path that she ends up taking like there's places that she can go or like I, I we know like what can help and right her dad and I joke like should we save for Harvard or Hazelden you know like it's not like you know it's like both I, I worry about her you know going down the attic pathway and stuff and it's like well if that is you know like I I wouldn't change my journey for anything you know and it, it's helped you know, to grow me into the person that I am today. So if that's her journey, then, you know, so I just, be it. yeah, yeah. Be it. but honestly, what you've been through, she's going to be able to learn a lot about that. Right. Does she have any knowledge of your alcoholism or your history of alcoholism now? And what does that look like for you and your partner, her dad moving forward um, as she gets older? When will you have those conversations? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, she she is lucky because she does get to reap the benefits of like uh, her dad and I like working our recoveries and you know trying to live the best way. Um, I um, she's still kind of young, I think, to like really grasp like the concept. Like I said something to her last week about I forgot what we were even talking about, but I'm like, you know, mommy can't drink alcohol or something, but she doesn't really like grasp that, so. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I, I want to be open and honest with her, you know, like I, I try to instill like a open communicate, open line of communication with her so that she feels comfortable talking to me. So I just think, Good. you know, if she continues growing up, like I, I don't want to hide things from her. I want to let her know, you know, what my experience was and, and where I was at. And, um, you I know, I figure that. the more that I tell her, the more open she can be with me and hopefully the more, you know, more she can learn from, from yeah, my experience. Yeah, I'm stubborn. So like, I wouldn't expect, and she's super stubborn too. So like, you know, people can tell me everything that they want about like, oh, you shouldn't do this because this could happen. But like, I want to experience it for myself. So I kind of have a feeling like that's going to be her route, but yeah. Yeah. Just the fact that you want to instill that open communication is more than a, a lot of parents even think about doing. I mean, truly like, you know, I think our situations can sometimes really set you up for failure or better parenting or better reactions. I mean, when we think about morality, how how much does someone show up, you know, to choose the right thing? And you're choosing honesty, Shelby, and 
yeah, she's going to grow up to hopefully involve you if she has those troubles, but also know that like her mom is an overcomer and she can be too. Mm, Thank you, Tess. Well, seriously. (laughs) So now on the flip side, um, did you finish school? Tell me more about your job. Like, um, just so you know, I minored in gerontology at St. Cloud State and majored in social work. And before I finished my schooling, I was like so stuck between working in the prison system and working in hospice. And I end up, oh, ended up ended up hospice. Yes, I actually applied to do my internships at the prison. And then I think they picked someone else or I ended oh. up working with hospice, but Um, I have such a heart for people that have given up and um, whether that's, yeah, alcohol, drugs, morality, violence, whatever the case may be, I, I feel for people so much like you do, how you were explaining. It's like, you can't help it. You just feel what other people are going through when they're struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so cool that when you said that, I was like, that is so cool that you're working in the prison system. What are you doing? How did you get into that? Talk about like where you are now and what you've been able to accomplish since you've been sober. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that about you, that you were, had a, um, a pleasure. Yeah. It's, um, so what I've been able to accomplish, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, people will talk about like the material things that they've gained, um, from sobriety where it's like, Oh, you know, I have a house now and I have a car and, I have a girlfriend or, you know, whatever it is. And like, those things are all great. And they're, you know, definitely benefits of, of living a life of sobriety and recovery. Um, for me, like the major accomplishments have all been like intangible where it's like, I have respect back from like people that I care about and like, I can like trust myself to make good decisions. Um, like I know where I am when I wake up in the morning, like I can set an alarm and like wake up on time and like follow through with my, you know, um, with my duties, whatever that is. Um, it's amazing. And, yeah. So that's like feel, little things. <laughs> yeah. I feel like your daughter is another perfect example of that. What a blessing that you had no idea you needed or wanted or could grow from. You know what I mean? And like, look at you now. You're like, oh yeah, I'm sober and I have a five-year-old and she's the best and I'm happy and healthy. Like Shelby, this is just incredible. Oh, thank you. My goodness. Yeah, it's, it is incredible. And and I try not to take it for granted. You know, it's, it's easy to, um, it's been easy for me sometimes to slip into like the monotony of, of life and, you know, of like duties and responsibilities and then being like, holy shit, like I get to do all these things. Like, it's not yeah. like I have to do all these, like I get to do them. And, um, and I think the difference you're, you're yeah. looking at it like it's a gift. Whereas, well, as saying, that's it's a perception thing where it's like I can look at it like, oh, I have to make Easton dinner. Like I have to teach her, you know, I have to homeschool her. I have to go to work. It's like, no, I get to, you know, I get to teach her a lesson or I like I get to go work with other people at work. Like I get to be employed like I get, you know, it, it, it's a it's a total perception thing being like great. It's it's living in gratitude is how I think of it. Um, yeah. And so. Like the, I guess one of the like accomplishments that um, I like treasure most is um, every year around my sobriety birthday in the summer, I take like a solo motorcycle trip um, and just like um, go celebrate me. <laughs> so like um, usually I go out west and, um, you know, I've always just like I meet the most wonderful people out on these trips and like I'll just pack a tent 
and like, you know, find like campgrounds or, you know, whatever. And, um, I found people in, in the program, like on all my trips, like where I end up like going to meetings with people or like having run-ins with, it's just, it's just been nuts. And, um, That's and like, so being, cool. yeah, it is super cool. And like being able to ride has been, um, like I, I'd always wanted to ride a motorcycle, but I, I knew that I'd like kill myself if I got one when I was still drinking. Um, and so that's been able to be like my like exciting outlet basically, where it's like that wild, like kind of dangerous part of myself. Like it's that outlet to do that. That's not illegal, <laughs> you know, and yeah, that I can that's so exercise cool. that part of myself. Um, so that's been, um, like being able to do that, um, it was really cool. cool. Um, but I got back into, um, so it took me seven years to graduate undergrad. Um, and That's okay, I don't, Shelby. It took me five years. Yeah, I just, I don't remember any of it. Like, even when I got sober and went back and finished it, like, I just don't really remember anything. But I, I did graduate. Um, but. Um, what did you graduate in? Like, tell travel me. Travel and tourism was my, like, my, my, yeah, what I graduated with. Um, but then it was, it was actually really cool because my younger brother, um, ended up having his graduation ceremony on the same day, even though he's three years younger than me. And so my parents, my parents were like, well, what the hell? Like, what are we supposed to do? You know, Shelby's actually graduating and, you know, Hunter's graduating early. And, um, my dad talked to the, but he was graduating from Bemidji. So my dad talked to the commencement coordinators at both schools and I got to walk in the Bemidji ceremony and they gave me my St. Cloud State diploma um, at Bemidji. So we got to be like the last two people to walk. It was super cool. And like, so my parents got to see like both of their kids graduate at the same time. That is so cool. Yeah, it was, it was a really like one of the best days ever. It was just, you're going to have to send me a picture of that day for you. I have one right here. Hold on. Okay, good. Because you're going to have to send me that so everybody can see it. Because I think everybody's going to want to see your hot brother and your nice parents. (laughs) Yeah. And you guys graduating on the same day. Oh, that is so nice that they let you walk with him. That just, it was so so cool. Like it was, it was just a really, really neat experience. Um, And it was funny because like, um, when Hunter like walked across the stage, it was like the whole fucking place erupted. They're like, Hunter, you're the man. And like all these chicks are yelling and, you know, I love you, Hunter. And, and then like I walk across the stage and it's just like fucking pin drops. Like nobody gives a shit that I'm like graduating. Yeah. She um, doesn't even go here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Who yeah, that, that? <laughs> kind of funny, but, um, but so I, you know, I was, I was happy that I even graduated at all, but then, um, I, you know, had been sober for a while and, you know, I, I wasn't really happy with like where I was working and didn't really feel like I had like a huge purpose. Um, and I was encouraged to go to, um, grad, go back to school, grad school. Um, and so in just a couple of weeks or just shy of a couple of weeks, I'll be graduating with my master's degree, um, in, rehabilit- I know in rehabilitation and addiction counseling, um, which is like insane to me that I, you know, got the opportunity to do that just because I didn't even think I'd get, um, like approved to be in the program. Cause my grades were so terrible from my undergrad. And I had an interview with the program director and kind of just told her my story and, 
Um, we ended up talking for a long time. It was like a week before the, the semester was going to start. Like, I just wanted to see like what my options were, like what the program was about. And, um, and they're supposed to be like, you're supposed to have like interviews with a bunch of people in the department and stuff and, and have all these things. And, and she's like, well, um, if you're like serious about wanting to do this, like I'll, I'll add you in for this school year and like, you can start in a week. And I'm like, well, what about, you know, all the interviews? And she's like, consider this like our interview, like I, I can tell you want it. And, you know, and so that was just insane to me. So like, again, everything just fell into place. Like I went in to just ask about it and then like, I was going to be starting grad school in a week. So, um, yeah, so that these two years have flown by super fast. Um, did you do grad school then at St. Cloud State? Yes, that's, yep. So, um, well, we're going to have like a virtual, you know, graduation on May 8th. Um, but yeah, so that's um, crazy to me that that I'm doing that. And my, um, my internship um, has been at the St. Cloud Prison. Um, so I, I worked at the prison as well um, in behavioral health as like a student worker. So more of like the admin side. Um, but what is that? But what did that look like? Like, what do you do in the admin side in prison? Like, can you, yeah, tell me about that. I'm so curious. Yeah, I love it. So I'm, I'm super sad because I, I got booted from the prison like two weeks ago or, well, however many weeks ago now with COVID, everything going on, they dropped interns um, uh, just to try to eliminate people in there. So like, I'm missing all the guys that I'm working with so badly, but I um, bet they miss you too. But um, so the admin side, um, I was working in behavioral health. It was basically so the St. Cloud prison is actually the intake facility for all Minnesota prisons. So any offender that gets sentenced um, for uh, a felony of at least a year and a day um, will get filtered through St. Cloud and then be dispersed to whatever facility makes sense for them, depending on like security level, um, what kind of treatment programs are needed, um, different like STG, uh, like security threat groups. Um, there's a lot of like gang violence and gang activities. So depending on like, uh, if they are gang affiliated, like which, um, facility to send them to. So, um, working there, like admin side of, um, behavioral health was like, it, it was really simple. I mean, like making new charts for like new offenders and like filing all of their like, um, diagnostic assessments and like progress notes and sure. So um, would you meet with them then or would you only do the filing? Like when were you able to really take a bigger hands-on approach there? Yeah. So um, it it's kind of confusing. So like with the admin side, I mean, I would like check uh, like when um, offenders would have appointments with a therapist, like I would check them in and, you know, like get them checked in um, to meet with them. But it was when I started doing my internship um, that I got to work like hands-on with all the guys, which was my favorite part. So the, um, I was in like rivers treatment program. It's there's, um, 46 beds and it's a separate living unit in the facility for guys going through substance abuse treatment. Um, and so, um, gosh, I just, I loved it. I mean, like I, I'm hoping to get a job there, um, is my, is my goal. Cause I just love working with the, the inmate population, um, and so it's a, like a four to six month program. Usually the guys do it like right before they're about to get released. 
Um, and, um, it's, it's offenders of all different charges. So some of them do have like just specific, like drug related charges. Um, but then a lot of them are like domestic abuse cases where they, they, um, uh, committed their charge, like while under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Um, we had one guy while I was working there that was in for murder, um, because he like accidentally killed his brother when he was drunk. Um, yeah, that was a really off. I felt so bad for him. Um, um, and then a lot of like, a lot of like the heroin guys or a lot of the drug guys would be like, um, receiving stolen property or like robbery, um, things like that to, to get money for drugs. Um, and so, um, so when I was doing that, I was like, uh, the 46 guys were broken up into four primary groups. Um, so they did a lot of like large group, like educational, like psychoeducational groups. And then, um, the primary groups were the guys that I worked with really closely. So I got to do all of the, um, like intake assessments. Um, so like meet with them and do like kind of a full comprehensive assessment of like, you know, past history, you know, every sure. history, everything like that. Um, which was always my favorite. Cause I just got to like know them and understand them a lot That's better. That's so cool. Um, and then get to do treatment planning from there, um, like working with them on like what kind of things, what their goals are in treatment, like what they want to get out of treatment. Um, you know, everyone has, you know, different things, obviously, that they that they want to work on. And um, yeah, it's honestly just like the I mean, I I loved going to to work every day and like getting to meet with these guys and then getting to process like their traumas and their their heartbreaks. And yeah, you know, it's like I I just. I have such a soft spot for all these people because it's like yeah. they're like the earth's like rejects, you know, it's like they every most of them feel like pieces of shit because that's what they've been called their whole lives. And, right. you know, people don't really give them a benefit of the doubt and um, just think of them as nothing more than criminals. Um, oh, when in Shelby, reality, I'm so glad you're there. Oh, thank you. In, yeah, in I, reality, you were saying in reality. Yeah. Well, it, like in reality, they're like hurt little boys I mean like really it's uh, they and not uh, you know it's not unanimous but like most of these guys you know when they when they tell me what they've been through it's like of course you're in prison like where else would you be you know they had you know their their parents were in prison or they grew up in poverty or just like neglect abuse and and again it's not all of them but you know, right. a, a, a large majority of them, um, you know, mm-hmm. didn't really have a lot of other options. Um, and so I, yeah, I just, I guess I, you know, people ask me like, well, are you scared to work in a prison? Like, do you, you know, I, I've never really thought of it like that. I'm, I'm aware that it is a prison, but um, these guys are, are human just like anybody else. Um, yeah. and, you know, they deserve treatment and they deserve, you know, the, the chance at a quality life, just like anybody else. Um, yeah, very well said. Yeah. So, um, that's been such a blessing. So I'm really hoping, you know, when things hopefully start calming down in the world here soon, that I'll be able to, to get back there and, um, and be, you know, employed full time, um, and get to work. Congratulations. Congratulations on your master's. Like that is so cool. Shelby, you could take on the world. You might, in five more years be like I'm going back for another master's no I think yeah there's a one of the gals in my cohort that's going for a PhD and I'm like "Mm, I think I'm gonna stop here I'm (laughs) I'm I'm good but uh yeah Yeah, it's it's been um 
you know, I, I have the the edge or the personal, you know, experience education, but it was yeah. nice getting, you know, like just a, a lot more, um, you know, the educational variety of, of, you know, the, uh, neuroscience of, of addiction and, you know, all these things that, that, um, feed into, you know, a much, a much greater issue here. So yeah. it's, it's been just a, a joy. Yeah. Yeah. So how has that work and mentorship with these men who are, who have gone through so much brokenness, how has that helped you stay sober and be accepted by them? Yeah. I, um, it's helped me stay sober. Just, I mean, like being able to, anytime I talk to another person in recovery, um, you know, I'm just, I feel like my cup gets filled up, you know, I, I, and a lot of these guys are, you know, in the beginning stages of it. And it's like, God, I remember being there, you know, like I remember feeling that hopelessness and that like despair. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like, I just, I want to just like fix, you know, fix everyone. I want to heal people. And, um, and so it's, it's been a really interesting journey for me too to, you know, take a step back and realize, you know, it's not my place to try to heal people. I just want to like get them in a right path so that they can, you know, heal themselves and, and, you know, be able to, to gain that confidence and in, in their own abilities to, to heal and recover and hopefully just be a catalyst to, to change. Absolutely. I mean, even these gentlemen in, in the prison who may never walk free again, having someone like you who can remind them of their personal quality and hardships and, you know, just being able to reflect and process through all of that with you, Shelby, I, I'm sure is priceless and immeasurable. Um, were you accepted well right away? Are, are some of the men gruff to you? You know, you're a beautiful young woman, you got tattoos up and down your arms. So that <laughs> makes you fit right in. But, but are they ever like, what the heck? Like, how old are you? Are you like 20? And what do you know about my life? Like, are you accepted well? Uh, also then too, by the other professionals that work there too. Like, yeah, talk about that a little bit as far as the people you work with. And I'm sure you've formed good relationships with everybody because you've been there a while now. Yeah. Um, with the, with the offenders. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I'm respected there. Like I, I give all them respect. Um, I, you know, I, I treat them very well. So I, I think I get that in return. Um, I mean, as far as like, um, so when I'm like walking down the corridors for like general population, like is when I'll get like the cat calls or like the, you know, stupid comments or, you know, a bunch of bullshit. Um, but for all the treatment guys, like they're very respectful and, you know, they, they treat me as like a human being, you know, rather than just right. like, you know, a piece of ass or whatever. Um, I mean, Cause they know you. Right. And I, and I, they, I think, I hope that they you know, genuinely know that I, that I care and that I truly want good things for them. And I, and I think they do understand that. And, um, you know, um, a lot of them are young too. Like we have guys that are like 20, you know, in there and stuff. So it's like, you know, they're, I think of, I feel old, you know, yeah. being in there. Okay. Well, so it's, we have a, a wide range of, um, you know, of ages and, and, and people there. So I, I don't ever feel like, um, I mean, obviously I'm still learning and the, the supervisor that I was co-facilitating, co-facilitating with is brilliant. She is just so knowledgeable. And so like getting to learn from her, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not at her level, like skill and education wise. So, um, but I, I have the personal experience where, you know, she's not in recovery. So I think we worked really well together, oh, good. um, for the guys. Um, but 
um, professionally, um, you know, I, I tend to, to get along pretty easily with people. And so, um, that was never, that was never really an issue. I, I think I'm, um, you know, probably a little different every, you know, each therapist has their own approach for how they, how they reach out to guys and how they communicate with them. So mine is a little bit more, um, like friendly and, you know, kind of being like, we're on the same page. Um, whereas some, you know, some of the therapists have more, um, obviously you have to have strict boundaries in a prison. Um, but I, I feel like mine are, um, a little bit more loose just cause I, I want to connect with these guys and show them that I don't think that I'm any better or any worse than, than they are. Um, so like that day I, I, I found out that I had to like leave, um, the prison, um, really quickly and I had to like get my stuff and, and get out of there. And that was really, really awful. And I, all of them were in a room and I tried to tell them that I, I could no longer be there and finish my internship. And I just started bawling in front of all like 50 well, offenders. And, that sucks. Yeah. Like, and, um, you were probably really looking forward to these last like three, four, five weeks with them. Yeah. Well, and, and some of them, you know, we're going to be graduating and I wanted to see them, you know, their, their, you know, progress through treatment and stuff. And um, so I, I couldn't really talk cause I was crying too much. And, and so many of the guys said just really, really wonderful things to me as I was leaving. And so, um, so that was really nice to hear. And, um, Aww. you know, I'm just hoping that I can, hoping that I can get back there. So, oh yes, you'll get back. Uh, let's hope that we're not all hold up for the next like two years. <laughs> um, oh, Shelby, I'm so happy for you. Uh, Gosh, I got to be honest, like if I had a problem with it, I would want someone like you at the prison. You know what I mean? Like if I needed someone to meet me where I was at, I I hate that you went through it. I hate that, you know, alcohol had such a big grip on you, but I'm so thankful that you're on the other side now. And, you know, what you're doing with these men and the work that you do throughout your whole life, even with your daughter, I mean you're going to see more things bloom from that hurt, which is just so incredible to hear about firsthand. So thank you, Tess. You're going to make my ego explode. I won't be able to fit to the next room. (laughs) You know what? I feel like if we can blow you up to make more people feel that and, you know, make the whole world better, why the heck not? So why not? Yeah. You're humble. Like you, you understand that you've come through a lot. I mean, Shelby, you could have died. Like that's, that's no small kitten, you know, so yeah. <laughs> I'm just so proud of you now because is is this prison it's like the biggest in Minnesota, right? or can you like share some statistics about that because you want to work there, right? Yeah, the um it's not the biggest in Minnesota, so it's a, a level four um, like f- five is the highest um, Oak Park Heights down in the cities and the metro area is the um, highest uh, security grade. Um, St. Cloud houses about 1,100 offenders. Um, I think Stillwater is the largest prison. Um, or maybe it's Faribault. I can't remember, but, um, but, um, yeah, I think there's, I believe there's 11 prisons and then, um, and then there's a juvenile facility in Red Wing. Um, for offenders 18 and under and then the women's prison is in Shakopee so there's only one women's prison um but yeah so it's um they're you know separated into different living units depending on like I said like security threat groups depending on if they're going to be moving um transferring to other prisons um 
it's super, super fascinating. I mean, like we'll have, um, uh, we all have to carry radios on us. So we, there's quite as quite an extensive, um, like Academy training as far as like self-defense and like carrying the radios. Um, and then, um, they're like whenever there's an incident um it's like called ics they call an ics and it goes over all the radios incident command system um so if there's like a fight that breaks out or if a, an offender is if refusing directive or things like the the whole prison will go under ics like lockdown um where there's no offender movement until that particular incident is is handled and so, taken sure. care of yeah um so it's never a dull moment there's always something oh. going I bet. So out of those 1,100 people, how many of those would you guess um, need to go through addiction treatment at some point? Oh, yeah. There's tons of, I mean, like, um, so uh, basically they have like a kite system is what it's called, K-I-T-E. It's like offender communication. So like if an offender is wanting treatment, they write a kite um, to our, um, like admin team. Um, and we get those all the time, people requesting treatment. Cause a lot of times it'll be like mandated for like court hearings or things like that. Um, and so then they have an interview with the, the program director. So it's, um, pretty selective, you know, like who we, who we let in. Cause there's a lot of people, but, um, I mean, I don't have a specific statistic, but I would assume a heavy amount of people could benefit from substance yeah. abuse treatment. I mean, not everyone struggles with drugs and alcohol, but but crime and substance abuse goes so hand in hand that, I mean, I really yeah. think a lot of guys could benefit from it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, just where you slipped when you were younger and had that trouble with alcohol, it's like, yeah, you were comparing yourself. You had a you had a bad bad self esteem. You know, you didn't have a good um, positive image of yourself, and so mm-hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense that these guys probably need some more encouragement as far as their integrity and personal morality yeah. is concerned. You know, um, I I one quick question I have too before we go. Um, I know when you were reading the that big book, the fourth mm-hmm. edition big book. Um, you had said sometimes there are people that can't, you know, get right with themselves and mm-hmm. it's a small number of people, but there are people out there. Yes. What What have you seen now to circle back at the prison? Um, what have you seen in these men that just can't um, move past it? Like are, 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 what happens then when you guys can't help these men in treatment that might have been severe abusers of women or um, be those horrible manipulators that are abusive at home. What do you do with those men? How do you love them when they're so broken and can't even see the goodness, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I just try to plant the seed, you know, um, there, there are guys that I work with where I'm like, I just really don't think they're, they're grasping onto it or that I don't think that they're going to get it this time around. Um, there's one kid in particular that I think of, he was 22 and just such a little shithead, but he was, you know, I, I, I care about him a lot and I, I see him ending up back in prison. Um, can you tell, can you tell me like what he struggled with? What, what his childhood was like, like share what you can, obviously don't share his name, but Right. What had he, he been through? Um, he uh, was a child of divorce. Um, 
I think that that really um, affected him pretty heavily. Um, he was always kind of like the mascot of the family, like trying to like, you know, make people laugh and like make things okay, even when there was a lot of turmoil going on. Um, he got really heavy into meth um, and uh, feeling he's kind of like a smaller statured guy. And so I think he got a lot of power out of like dealing and um, using and, you know, kind of felt you know, like a tough guy. And, sure. and for him, like the, the criminal and addictive thinking was so heavily ingrained, you know, in his mind where he just, uh, you know, I could just see him like leaving prison and, and, you know, going and buying an ounce and flipping it to make that quick money, you know, like he was, you know, money on his mind. Like, um, I just, I don't think he had had like enough consequences. Um, you know, like he had been in juvenile lockup for most of his, um, for his, most of his adolescence. And so when I was doing my assessment with him, I'm like, well, you know, what have you, like, have you learned anything from like your consequences from using? And he's like, well, I haven't really had any consequences. I'm like, you wouldn't consider like, you know, being sent to prison a consequence. And and he's like, no, I've been locked up my whole life. Like this is just normal, you know? And so, so like so his parents were divorced, but also uh, they, it sounds like they abandoned him in some way. Like, yeah, he, he had a lot of emotional, like, behavioral uh, issues, but how they dealt with it was just sending him away. So, like, when he'd act up, they'd send him away. So that's, you know, like, that's just what he got used to was, like, oh, if I, like, don't act like my parents want me to, like, I'm just going to get, you know, locked up. And so, like, that's why he didn't even consider prison a consequence because it was just normal for him, you know, which is really sad. And so, like, um, you know, for a lot of these guys, I, I try to try to work on their, like, their value system and like their self-esteem and like, like what, like personal wellness, like what does that look like for them? Like, what does it look like when you're happy? Like when you are like feeling good about yourself, like looking at it from a really holistic standpoint, like having them work out. Cause like workout is like natural endorphins. So like, you know, having them create a gym plan for themselves, like eating, you know, eating decent, like obviously it's prison, but you can still choose like what you buy from canteen. If you're buying a bunch of ding dongs versus, you know, trying to eat, decent um you know what that looks like what their hobbies are like what helps them like relax and calm down because a lot of these guys have anxiety um yeah you know whether that's like coloring or like I give all of them journals so that they can start journaling their thoughts and, and not like ruminating in their head so much um and like I've gotten really good feedback from that um yeah you know, being able to get their thoughts down on paper Good. Um, you know, different things like that so that they can learn about themselves so that they can start like the, the personal like journey of, of wellness and recovery that starts with like not hating the person that you are. And like, I think from there, once you can start to feel like a decent human being again and like start liking yourself, everything becomes a lot easier and, and recovery is a lot more possible because you actually give a shit about yourself rather than like not caring if you live or die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes me so sad that there's so much brokenness where, yeah, like that that boy's that gentleman's life could have been so so much different if his parents would have been there for him, you know? Right. Yeah. The the brokenness is um the the thing that I struggle with the most. Where I just I wish I could just hug all these guys and just you know give them love and and care and support. Um, but I do that in whatever way that I can you know and just yeah. and having helping them try to learn that about themselves well Shelby the fact that you have such a big heart for the brokenness is super inspiring um 
Seriously, I'm so inspired by your story, and I know that a lot of people are going to be blown away by everything you've shared. So thank you so much. And Thank you. Yeah, if you have, like, any ideas or people that you think would be interesting to talk to, let me know. Um, Otherwise, I know you're going to do a lot of really big things in your life. Um, The amount of people you've already helped is immense. And um, I firmly believe that God in this life has beautiful things unfolding for you. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the work you're doing for addiction and people that are broken. And thank you for the work you're doing with these um, men in prison who have nothing exciting going on in their lives or probably have, you know, a lot of really scary things coming up and realizations um, about themselves and the time they have on this earth and the crap they've gotten into. And um, I just think it's so beautiful that they have you to help them through that. Mm, Thank you so much, Tess. This has been really, really lovely. Yeah. I mean, as far as um, the resentments in um, the program, I mean, Um, It really goes off of like the fourth step, which is making like a personal inventory um, of of people that you've harmed um, and then, you know, people that you have resentments towards. um, And then it's broken up into like what parts of self were affected by that, like, you know, my my security, my self-esteem, you know, different parts of self. Um, And so when doing resentments, um, it's really suggested that it be fearless and thorough. So um, making amends to everyone, um, you know, and, um, and that is a, it's a really daunting task, you know, and and my sponsor, um, had me make a list, you know, and, and go off of the, the fourth step too, of basically anyone that I've harmed or have a resentment against, um, you know, trying to, to make amends to them. And, um, almost all of them went really well, you know, and, and like, like I had mentioned, most of it was a living amends, um, just living differently and and having people see that. But, um, you know, there was one amends of like a kind of like a sex harm that I had caused of, you know, pretending to be into someone, uh, you know, this drug dealer that I, that I used to hang out with, you know, fell in love with me and, and I was using him to get what I wanted. And, um, you know, he had a huge, uh, resentment against me and, and I went to apologize to him and he basically told me to fuck off. Um, and that's, I mean, the, the point of the resentments is to clean off my side of the street. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I have no control over their response or how they're going to handle it. But if I can clean off my side of the street, say my piece, ask if there's anything I can do to right my wrong, that's all that I can do. That's all I have control of. Um, I can't expect a certain response. Um, and if I do that, I'm setting myself up for failure. So, um, you know, my, my sponsor for her, she, her sponsor had her make a list, make it into three different sections, like people that I'm willing to make amends to people that I don't want to make amends to and people that I'm never fucking going to make amends to ever, you know? And, and she's like, it's amazing how many people on that third category, you know, I ended up making amends to because just, you know, the longer I stayed sober, the more opportunities I had and, my heart yeah. kind of softened and, and, um, you know, for the people yeah. that have passed away or, or that you can't get in touch with anymore, what they suggest is like writing a letter to them, like saying what you would have said, um, and at least getting it out on paper. Um, That's even so if cool. you can't actually get to them. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of options, but, um, it's really, you know, 
it's it's forgiving yourself and and being able to let go of that and being able to move forward. Yeah, so and like you said, just being honest. Like, yeah, if yep. I'm having chronic pain or I'm feeling like you know I'm struggling that day, it's okay to say that. You know, hey guys, I'm not really feeling myself today. Um, and again, I think Shelby, a big thing for me is just like accepting my disability. You know, long term, it's like. I, I do. I still have to get right with that. And, you know, that's going to be a process all on its own. But I think Absolutely. it's really cool. If, if it's bothering you enough to write down that person on the paper, you need to make your side of the street right. Exactly. And that's like my sponsor is like, I have resentments from second grade, you know, people that I'm still pissed off because they, you know, said something mean to me in second grade, you know, shit like that. And it's like, that's that's not allowing you to move forward. It's like either let go or be dragged, you know, like right. handle it and, and move on with it. So it's that, like we had talked about, you know, like um, it, realizing it, accepting it, and then taking action on, on what you need to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has just been so great. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening.